Chapter 26, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Well, the land of Judah was the promised land. But it could be anywhere where the Lord's people are. They too are a city. They too are a single entity. They may be scattered in different parts of the earth, but they are a single entity. Ultimately, in the next world, there will be one city, the city of God. Our city is strong. Salvation he has set up as walls and barricades. Our city, that is the city of the righteous, not the wicked city that was turned into a heap of rubble. Salvation he has set up as walls and barricades. We didn't have highly walled fortifications like the wicked city did that were all laid low by being raised to the ground. We had the Lord himself as walls and barricades. Salvation is a metaphor describing the Lord himself. He was our walls. Protection is ultimately divine. There is no other protection than divine protection. And so these people relying upon the Lord had their prayers answered when the Lord saved them. Open the gates to let in the nation righteous because it keeps faith. Those whose minds are steadfast, O Lord, they are preservers in perfect peace, for in thee they are secure. This is like saying, this is our God whom we expected would save us. Their minds were steadfastly trusting in him. Because they didn't waver, because they kept faith. They were righteous because they kept faith. Therefore they were preserved. They form a nation of individuals who come from exile, who come from different directions of the earth, in an exodus to Zion. They are led into the city of Zion or the New Jerusalem in that day. As they come in the exodus, protected by the Lord's cloud of glory, they enter the city. The gates there are opened to them by those who are already there. Open the gates to let in the nation righteous because it keeps faith. Again, the idea of those who are at home and those who are abroad. Those who are at home welcome those who are abroad at that time. And they become one people again, or one city. Those whose minds are steadfast thou preserve us in perfect peace. Peace is a synonym of salvation in the book of Isaiah. They're also preserved. Uh, the word preserved identifies the elect in the book of Isaiah, like the city of Zion that's under siege is also the city that is preserved in chapter 1, verse 8. The word preserved is used in various contexts in the book of Isaiah. Let's see what the cross-reference says there. The cross-reference is chapter 31, verse 5, which says, As birds hover over the nest, so will the Lord of hosts guard Jerusalem. By protecting it, he will deliver it. By passing over it, preserve it. So he preserves it in a new Passover, as it were. In him, or in thee, they are secure. Ever trust in the Lord. For the Lord Yah, which is a synonym or an abbreviation of Jehovah, for the Lord Yah is an everlasting rock. And the word rock, too, we have used is a metaphor of the Lord himself. You have forgotten your God, your salvation, and not remembered the rock, your fortress. Chapter 17, verse 10. The Lord Yah is an everlasting rock. In other words, a place of protection something that stands firm through any destruction. You can trust in that. You can implicitly trust in that. Ever trust in the Lord. Always. Don't let your faith waver. He has put down the elite inhabitants of the exalted city by casting it to the ground, laying it even with the dust. It is trodden underfoot by the feet of the poor, by the footsteps of those impoverished. 
The elite inhabitants of the exalted city are again the inhabitants of the world in general, or the city Babylon, the wicked city. Those who dwell in that city were the elite of the earth. And that is what happens in chapter 2 also, where that which is lifted up and that which is exalted is cast to the ground, even with the dust. Again, they become a non-entity, they cease to exist, dust being a chaos motif. Is trodden underfoot by the feet of the poor. The poor and the needy are those who survive, for whom the Lord is a refuge and a shelter from the downpour and from the heat. So the poor are his covenant people. The footsteps of those impoverished, they were impoverished, and now, as we'll see, the Lord replenishes them, and they are well provided for, and they become blessed and prosperous in the millennial time of peace. This is very similar to what Malachi says, where he says that um, then shall you discern between the righteous and the wicked in that day, between those who serve God and those who serve him not. And he talks about the wicked being ashes under the feet of the righteous, because that's all that remains of the wicked in that day. If they are laid even with the dust, and they cease to exist, they have gone into the dust. Verse 7, the path of the righteous is straight, like the straight and narrow path that leads to God. Thou pavest an undeviating course for the upright. This is temple imagery, alludes to the ordinances of the temple. In the very passage of thine ordinances, we anticipate thee, O Lord. The soul's desire is to contemplate thy name. This is temple imagery, or rites of passage, that through the ordinances conducted in the temple, people enter the presence of the Lord. We anticipate thee, O Lord. The name of the Lord, when it is pronounced, brings one into the presence of the Lord. The soul desires to contemplate thy name. Anciently, the high priests of Israel went into the Holy of Holies and pronounced the name of God on the Day of Atonement, and the Lord appeared to him. That has to do with temple ordinances. Verse 9, My soul yearns for thee in the night. At daybreak my spirit within me seeks after thee. These people are not the kind that just remember him on Sundays and go about their business during the rest of the week, never thinking of him again. But these are people who are contemplating and thinking of God all the time. Their whole lives revolve around their covenant Lord. For when thine ordinances are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. The ordinances bring one into the presence of God whereas the wicked inhabitants of the earth change the ordinances and set it not the covenant and transgress the laws, the pure ordinances, the true ordinances of the covenant, make one righteous. When then ordinances are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. They teach the ways of God. These rites of passage show one what's involved, how one enters the presence of God. They have to enter God's presence because when he comes to rule upon the earth, he will be there and they will dwell in his presence. Righteousness is also a metaphor of the Lord's servant, and that implies that when the Lord's servant begins his mission, then will be the time when the ordinances will be restored in their purity, and people will be coming into the presence of the Lord on a much larger scale than now. In other words, they'll be making sure their callings and elections at that time in perhaps much greater abundance than now that will be necessary as a preparation for the coming of the Lord to the earth. Verse 10, Though favor be shown the wicked, they will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness they remain perverse and see not the glory of the Lord. Now the wicked don't follow this course, even though they are given the opportunity. 
even though favor is shown them, they will not learn righteousness. They despise the ordinances of God, the temple, and of His law and covenant. They refuse to have anything to do with Him, and so, in that sense, they remain perverse. Perverse is kind of stubborn or stiff-neckedness that's talked about elsewhere, where the people are alienated from God. In a land of uprightness, even where people around them are righteous and are doing as the Lord desires, they do not. They see not the glory of the Lord. The words favor and righteousness and perhaps glory are pseudonyms of the Lord's servant. He personifies righteousness, but they don't learn from him. They will not learn righteousness. Favor is shown them, he is shown to them, or the Lord raises him up to them, they reject him. Favor is also a covenant term. It's a synonym of covenant. So the covenant of the Lord with his people is offered to them also. They may come in into the covenant and become the Lord's people. They choose not. Verse 11, O Lord, thy hand is lifted up, but they perceive it not. Let them perceive with dismay thy zeal for thy people when the fire prepared for thine enemies consumes them. There's really two hands of the Lord that are lifted up. One, the hand of deliverance, which is the Lord's servant, and the other, the hand of punishment, which is the king of Assyria. There will be a time before the destruction comes when both are fulfilling their missions upon the earth. And on the one hand, there is offered them deliverance. On the other hand, there is offered them destruction. And they don't perceive either one. They perceive it not. They don't perceive that they're about to be wiped out if they don't repent or that they could be delivered if they did repent. Let them perceive with dismay thy zeal for thy people, when the fire prepared for thine enemies consumes them. The fire prepared for his enemies is the king of Assyria. He personifies the fire. He is the fire that consumes the enemies of God. And since they have numbered themselves among God's enemies, the king of Assyria will have power over them to burn them up. The zeal for his people could be the king of Assyria again, or it could be the Lord's servant, either one. The Lord's zeal for his people is to deliver them from their enemies, by destroying their enemies, or by delivering them from destruction. Verse 12, O Lord, thou bringest about our peace. Even all that we have accomplished, thou hast done for us. So while the wicked are being burnt and destroyed, like at the flood, the flood took everybody away, except Noah and those in the ark. So he brings about the peace or salvation, salvation into a millennial peace for the righteous, our peace. But what do these righteous say when they survive? Do they say, well, we were righteous, so we survived? No, they said, even all that we have accomplished, thou hast done for us. They knew their own nothingness, that they had no power to deliver themselves, that the Lord deliver them. And their righteousness is really His righteousness. O Lord our God, our covenant God, lords other than Thou have ruled over us. In other words, wicked lords or human lords. But Thee alone we recall by name. They recall Him by name because they know His name. They meditate upon His name and they recall His name and they enter his presence. Verse 14, They are dead to live no more, spirits who will not rise up. 
Thou appointest them to destruction, wiping out all recollection of them. The wicked, including these lords and rulers, die not to be resurrected anymore. In verse 19, he talks about the resurrection of the righteous. He says, first of all, these will not rise up. That is from the dust. The word rise up is used in the sense of rising from the dust in the book of Isaiah. Zion rises from the dust to sit on her throne, and so forth. Thou appointest them. The word appoint is used in the book of Isaiah of the Lord's servant, who is appointed as a deliverer. But here they are appointed to destruction. All recollection of them is wiped out. Verse 15, Thou hast enlarged the nation, O Lord, and by enlarging it gain glory for thyself. Thou hast withdrawn all the borders in the earth. Now how did the Lord enlarge all the borders of the earth? He did it by destroying the wicked at the hands of the Assyrians who conquered the whole world. The Assyrians did away with the borders of all nations. I have done away with the borders of nations. Chapter 10, verse 13. The king of Assyria is speaking. And so when the Assyrians conquer the world, they've made it into one world, as it were. And then, when the Assyrians themselves are destroyed, the Lord's people regain the earth, reconquer the world on behalf of the Lord, or for the Lord's sake. It's like Cyrus conquered Babylon. That's the type that Isaiah uses. And so that what we end up with is a situation where the Lord is in charge now of the whole earth. And he's withdrawn all the borders in the earth. The whole earth has become the Lord's in that way. And it became the Lord's when the people of God reconquered it. It's like the Israelites conquered the land of Canaan, so they reconquered the earth from the Assyrians. And you say, well, that's not fair because the Assyrians did it. Yes, but the Assyrians did it because of the wickedness of the inhabitants of the world. So they brought that upon themselves. Now the Lord's people conquer it from the Assyrians and deliver the inhabitants of the earth that survive. That way the whole earth becomes the Lord's. All its lands become promised lands. Thou hast enlarged the nation, O Lord, and by enlarging it, gain glory for thyself. Just as he did when the Israelites came out of Egypt, thou hast withdrawn all the borders in the earth. The nation that is enlarged implies that to the Lord's covenant people are joined all those who are left out there in the earth who are the more righteous part of the people of the earth, who survive, who are the covenant people of the Lord. First of all, the elect, the holy and valiant ones, whom the Lord protects directly during that time of destruction, and also those who were not wicked per se, who survived because they were somewhat the more righteous part of the people of the earth. Because it is only the wicked who are destroyed, and it is only the elect or the holy ones who receive direct divine protection. There are those out there who survive nevertheless. And that's how the nation of the Lord's people is enlarged. They now become one people of God. They may remain different nations or ethnic groups, but the nation of the covenant people of God are enlarged by them becoming, at least, if not primary citizens, at least secondary citizens in the kingdom of God in the millennium. O Lord, in their distress they remembered thee. They poured out silent prayers when thy chastisements were upon them. That is the people in the earth. When the destruction began, they began to think of their maker and to forsake their idols and so forth and to repent. They poured out silent prayers, perhaps because if they poured out open and public prayers, they were put to death. 
their prayers have to be silent. When thy chastisements were upon them, the chastisements at the hands of the Assyrians, if an Israelite in bondage was caught praying to God, he was whipped or put to death by the Egyptians. So doubtless it will be with the Assyrians. As a woman about to give birth cries out from her pangs during labor, so were we at thy presence, O Lord. As I said, the whole world goes into labor. The people go into labor. The people of God go into labor. At thy presence, because the presence of the Lord, the coming of the Lord was near that time. We were with child, we have been in labor. The woman Zion goes into labor in chapter 66 and brings forth a deliverer. He delivers the woman Zion. He delivers the people of God. And these people had no deliverer. These were not the elect, but nor were they the wicked. We were with child, we have been in labor, but have brought forth only wind. So their labor didn't produce anything. They were not valiant, and they were not holy. They were not consecrated to the service of God. We have not wrought salvation in the earth that the inhabitants of the world might not fall. All the inhabitants of the earth fell. The wicked all fell. We could have saved some of them, but we didn't. How could we have saved them? By saving ourselves, first of all, by being valiant and keeping covenant with God, by consecrating our lives to the service of our fellow man and woman. We didn't do that. And then by teaching the law of the covenant to the people of the world. They could all have come into the covenant and received divine protection. We didn't perform our labors on their behalf. We were not valiant. We have not wrought salvation. Salvation is also a metaphor describing the Lord himself. So we have not brought the Lord to them, to the inhabitants of the earth. Instead of that, they fall. Another translation is that they might not abort. Many peoples who came into mortality have aborted their stays on the earth needlessly. Verse 19, Yet shall thy dead, that is, the righteous people of the earth, whether they're valiant and holy, or the elect, or whether they are not valiant and not holy, but nevertheless not wicked either, yet shall thy dead live when their bodies arise. As Paul says, some will inherit a glory like unto the sun, and some like a glory of the moon, and some like a glory of the stars. They will all arise, except those perdition types we mentioned in verse 14, who will not rise. They are dead to live no more. Spirits who will not rise up. Verse 19, Yet shall thy dead live when their bodies arise, that will say to them, Awake and sing for joy, you who abide in the dust. Your dew is the dew of sunrise, for the earth shall cast up its dead. So the dead rise from the dust, from being a non-entity physically, to being an entity again, a resurrected entity. When? At the sunrise. When is that? At the dawning of the millennium. Your Jew is the Jew of sunrise. Jew also is associated with youth and vigor and fertility, and so they will rise up in their youth and their fertility in their full stature. Your earth shall cast up its dead. In spite of the graphic description here, shall thy dead live when their bodies arise? Many scholars say that Resurrection doesn't appear in the Old Testament. Verse 20. Come, all my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves a little while until the wrath is past. For now will the Lord come out of his dwelling place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquities. The earth will uncover the blood shed upon it and no more conceal its slain. 
So during the time of judgment, the people go into their chambers, very much like at the Passover in Egypt, remember? People went into their chambers and shut the door. And they put the blood of the lamb on the lentils of the door, and the angel of death passed over them. Very similar here. Into your chambers, shut the door behind you. That is my people, my covenant people. Hide yourselves a little while until the wrath is passed. Wrath is the day of judgment. It's a metaphor that describes the king of Assyria who personifies God's wrath. So during his work of destruction, stay behind closed doors. Who? Which group of people is being talked about? Not the wicked whom he has power over to destroy. It says, my people, but since the Lord's people go in an exodus to Zion or to the New Jerusalem, this could be a particular reference to the middle group, the ones who live during the time and have to live in holes and dens, and as it says elsewhere, and somehow survive. The Lord makes provision for all of the elect to deliver them by his direct divine intervention. Only the elect go in the exodus. The holy ones, it calls them holy ones and valiant ones. So those who are not holy and not valiant may have to hide themselves during that time when the king of Assyria does his destruction. And that way they will survive, but not by the Lord being a shelter and a refuge for them with the shade of the cloud. So this is the second way that people survive. Then those people who survive out there, who don't participate in the Exodus under the protection of the Lord's cloud of glory, then they too are gathered out from among the nations of the world after it's all over. But they don't have the privilege of participating in the pilgrimage or the trek back to Zion at that time.